0: night of silent intimacy together. And since it's the last night, first I'd like to encourage you to make use of this last bit of practice time. Each drop of mindfulness is important. And sometimes the last night and day of a retreat can be very powerful and it's also important to see if you're holding on to the course in any way holding on to it lasting longer than it is or if you're wanting it to stop earlier than it has (laughs) both are suffering whether you're holding on or wanting it to end early. And it's important to ask, what is it that we want to last? Or what is it that we want to end early? It's a good question. It's a good question to ask, well, what what does this mean, this last night? What is, what does it mean to say this is the end? The concept of last night, of an ending, itself can create a lot of suffering. A person named Lucretius once said, it is the first and last snows that blind us most. The concept of birth and death first snow, last snow of beginning or ending. The concept of beginning and ending can blind us the most. And again, what can this mean, blind us most? We can get so easily trapped or blinded by the idea that there's a solid, fixed ending right now. That there's a real difference between tonight and tomorrow afternoon. That there's a real difference between being in retreat and being out of retreat. And somehow now that we say, which I'll say that at 3 o'clock tomorrow we'll get together, and introduce ourselves, silence breaks and all of a sudden a whistle blows in our heads and we think, Yippee! (laughs) Now we can stop paying attention! (laughs) Yay! (laughs) It's been way too long to pay attention, this one. (laughs) Just think about how excited you are (laughs) about stopping. (laughs) 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 There's a person on staff that once said, there are no Sundays in samsara. (laughs) Just to keep in mind (laughs) that this is a concept, this ending. And this concept, again, can be such a source of suffering. The so-called end of retreat. We're not really changing life in any way. Tomorrow afternoon, just as we didn't change life in any way when we started the retreat, there's still going to be seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, thinking, and pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings. Fortunately or unfortunately. And there is a shift it's important to acknowledge that there will be a shift and that this is an incredibly valuable time to see how fully you can be with such a shift because it's really not very easy especially those of you who've been through the end of a three-month course know it's not all fun (laughs) It's almost like there's a hundred two-year-olds running around. (laughs) (laughs) And as you know, with two-year-olds, there's a book I just saw recently, Your Two-Year-Old, Terrible or Tender. (laughs) (laughs) So just to keep in mind, again, that there'll be a lot of terribleness and tenderness going on. And you may feel that Already, you're not so quiet, not, I don't really feel very different. Especially since you've probably noticed that there's a lot more planning or anticipation or waiting or fear going on in your mind. And again, I'd like to remind you that for most of you, just to keep this in mind, that it's a busy day if you have to bring your laundry down to the annex <laughs> basement. <laughs> it's a little different than being out there in the world. It's a busy day if you have to answer two notes and take a shower at <laughs> in the same vicinity of time. <laughs> it's so funny sometimes you'll come in and you'll say you've really been busy. <laughs> I can't imagine what that could be. (laughs) So again, just to keep it all in perspective. (laughs) It's not too busy if you have to bring your laundry down. (laughs) Basically, you're not used to taking in much stimulation. And this is the shift that's going to happen. You might have to go to the laundry room twice instead of once. And this coming out of silence into more stimulation needs to be very, very gentle. And if you're not careful, instead of bowing to the dust, you might be biting the dust. (laughs) So, it's very important to keep in mind balancing your energy. If you think of being here for three months like having a pot on the stove with a lid on it, and that there's been fire underneath it all this time, and so you've been cooking, you've all been cooking, and tomorrow we're going to take the lid off. (laughs) And so. If any past endings of 3 months retreats are any indication, what happens is that there's a major explosion that occurs. Um, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> if, you <laughs> if you think of taking the lid off so many people, it's not just one person, but all your energy has been contained for so long. Uh, it really is an explosion. And it's important for all of us teachers, staff, yogis, to be aware that there's a lot of ups and downs that happen because of that and that we all need to take extra care to be gentle. Um, I'll move into the talking area of things. Um, It's important to remember when you start talking that it's very difficult to stop (laughs) <laughs> and it sounds simple, but it's incredibly hard to stop once you start. <laughs> it's like a snowball that you just can't stop its momentum. And it's, it's almost like you want to stop. You do know somewhere that you need to stop and you want to stop, but you can't stop. <laughs> so there's going to be some bells. <laughs> There's going to be a schedule which will be posted tomorrow and there'll be a sitting schedule an early morning sitting a morning sitting an afternoon sitting an evening sitting and a late night sitting and please try to remember that no matter how important and powerful the conversation is that when you hear the bell encourage each other to go to the sitting because it'll be (coughs) worth it You'll probably get headaches anyway, but this might prevent major migraines from occurring. Um, and try to go out for walks. Just basically, it's learning to balance your energy and know when to withdraw again into the silence and when you can come out again. And the schedule is made up so that it's reinforcing you to balance the energy and trying to respect the sitting schedule should help a lot. So tomorrow afternoon there'll be a go around where people introduce each other and then afterwards there'll be a period of, of talking and I'd like to suggest that you try an experiment and this is voluntary when you start to talk see if you can just talk about whoever's present in the conversation so if it's you and another person or several people to try to keep the conversation about just who's present and this is actually one of the rarest opportunities that you could have to have so much to talk about yourself with. Just think you have three months of things to talk about. Usually whenever anybody tries this particular experiment which I've done before, it cuts out about at least 80% of the conversation if you stop talking about somebody who isn't present and I'm only asking you to try this for several hours at a time when all of you should have quite a bit to say and have quite a lot of practice staying in the present and it can be really interesting and this doesn't mean that if you happen to notice that you're in the middle of talking about somebody that that means you have to judge or feel guilty or criticize but it's just, if one of you notice in the conversation that it's shifted to being about somebody else it's not there, to just go, oh, here we go again. And then to try coming back to talking about yourself or what's happening in that moment. Again, this is voluntary and it can be very, uh, a very powerful teaching. Right speech is really not hurting others through our speech. And an aspect of right speech is the art of listening and the art of speaking. What is communication? You'll be very open and very vulnerable and in this particular space it's actually very interesting to learn about what... to explore what communication is and see if you can really listen to what the other person is saying Watching our motivation, watching our intention in communicating is important. Basically, are we listening or speaking to understand or to judge? That's what you need to be looking for. Much of communication can be painful unless we're really there to try to understand and this takes humility it takes a lot of attention usually we have a fixed idea of a person or we have a fixed idea about things about ideas and when Communication actually happens. There's an openness and an exploration. There isn't a rigid, this is how it is. But often when we talk and listen, we have that judgment going on and rigidity. It'll be interesting to talk with the people who you have been attracted to or have had aversion to or you have feelings of neutrality for. You can see your motivation when you come to talk with these people. And if it's to go beyond the unpleasant or the pleasantness or the neutralness of being with a person, there can be a great deal of exploration and care and respect we need to approach another person like we would like to be approached. And just as you've been exploring your, your own mind for three months, you've, you've spent a lot of time learning to accept yourself as you are, learning to allow for your humanness that you're not perfect. And we all have our own unique conditioning which creates the differences between us all, the colors and shades and tones. Communication allows for us to live together in harmony rather than being tortured in our living together with people. And this, this brings us to the precept of not telling lies, or honesty, truthfulness. And there's many levels to this. It's far more expansive than just not telling lies. It includes being able to speak the truth. And it also includes being honest with ourselves, with what's happening in any particular moment on the level of not telling lies when you start to speak just see if you start to exaggerate or what see what you leave out of the story see how you're feeling when you do this when you notice that just to explore not to judge it if you notice someone else doing that not to judge it but just notice how it feels On the level of speaking the truth, anyone who is familiar with alcoholism or physical abuse or sexual abuse knows the pain of denial of not telling the unbearable truth. And this is a very important aspect of honesty that's not always very stressed. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's very important to see that truth and forgiveness go together. The truth makes space for understanding and it can allow for the pain that is there to surface, which makes the space for the forgiveness. And this implies discretion timing is important. If you know someone's not able to hear it at a certain time and space, then this requires patience and can't be forced. There's a title of a poem by Adrian Rich that I like a lot. It's called, A Wild Patience Has Taken Me This Far. A wild patience and this kind of communication and honesty requires that kind of patience this includes this kind of honesty it includes not dumping on another person again one needs to watch one's motivation not dumping one's anger not dumping one's fear being able to feel those feelings oneself and then if one's communicating for understanding then one would really be open to try to hear what the other person has to say rather than come on so condemning or righteous and if we can do this it makes the space for healing and otherwise the pain stays buried and it's so important to remember that no matter what's happened to us or no matter who we are we've all been hurt by others and we've all hurt others And. What causes harm is not being aware of one's own heart or feelings, or not being honest with oneself when one's having a painful emotion such as sadness, or anger, or fear, or not being able to acknowledge our unskillful actions. These are what cause harm much more harm than the actuality of of an unskillful action or the actuality of a painful feeling is not being able to admit that they're there. And it's so hard to do it. It's so hard to acknowledge our own difficulties or our own painful actions. But this is what's so freeing. This is the lifeblood of what it takes to live together in harmony, rather than deceit and lies. So honesty is part of the five precepts. It's one of the five precepts which is part of sila, the foundation of this practice again it's incredibly important to remember that sila is the foundation of this practice and i'd like to ask you to remember your commitment to the five precepts for the rest of the retreat even though the silence is broken and it's part of having the sangha here be in harmony not hurting or harming ourselves and each other so i'd like to remind you of what they are it's not taking life not killing not taking what is not given speaking the truth not telling lies not clouding the mind with intoxicants and i left this one for last because i wanted to emphasize it which is maintaining celibacy and the reason why i'd like to emphasize it is because you've probably noticed how fragile at times you feel emotionally which is something we all share as human beings and in terms of all the precepts, the guideline in terms of rather than see this as a you can't do this or you should do that, rather than see them as commandments Again, it's really common sense. It's, it's checking in with your heart and your feelings and just to see what action of yours will cause harm to another being And it's especially important, this checking in with your own heart here and when you live in the world. It's much easier to keep the precepts here than out in the world. So in terms of this precept of um, celibacy, I wanted to touch lightly on the guideline of sexual discretion and this is an area that I see over and over and over and over again how much pain it causes human beings in their lives in this world and the desire for sex can be confused with a desire for intimacy and intimacy you'll have your of course your own definition and ideas on what intimacy is as i see it intimacy is a feeling of closeness a feeling of being cared for and caring for, of warmth and sharing. It's an opening and an openness of oneself with another person in this context. And as children, most of us have had few, if any, models of adults being close friends, relating intimately but not sexually, And the journey in coming to understand the difference between sexuality and intimacy and to understand the connection between sexuality and intimacy can be very arduous and also, again, very freeing. And this time here, these next days, can be a great time to explore what you feel intimacy is between adults while being celibate it's actually a very safe place to do that and exciting if you ask anyone who feels safe enough to really be honest with you about their past in regard to their sexuality there are usually at least a few twinges of anguish and hearing the stories, female or male, can open us to a great deal of compassion for all of us. As with everything, sexuality can manifest in various shades between the extremes of repression and indulgence. And in most spiritual traditions, to be sexual is to be unspiritual. And I think this can be very confusing to anyone connected to their feelings. Because sexuality actually implies a lot of openness and trust and vulnerability. And there can be a great potential for depth and care, connection and openness which includes an opening to the whole universe so these depths can be be reached if one is open to one's feeling and one's feelings and one's heart and if one chooses to express oneself sexually if one has no caring and no warmth and no feelings it's really a, not intimacy. It's a personal power, or a personal energy being used to satisfy one's own ego needs. And they can't be satisfied in that way. They can't be satisfied in that way because there's no openness to the truth of the connection of the energies. And again, this is our great tragedy, as human beings, on this level of sexuality. So sexuality can be an expression of conscious connecting and caring. So try to see, in these next days, Have an awareness of what closeness and caring and warmth is without the need to express it sexually. There's a great power in that. We all desire to be loved and cared for. We all desire this intimacy. You've been intimate with yourself for three months. Now you can start opening up to be intimate with each other I'd like to ask you to think about what expectations you have about the ending. If any. (laughs) If you've learned (laughs) to not have any. But probably, we all do, we all do this, we have a lot of expectations of how we want to be, what we want to hold on to, what's going to happen. And see what you're waiting for to be pleasant or unpleasant. See what you're expecting to be really wonderful or really bad. It's important to look at this before the retreat ends, because then you can see what it is that you've built up in your mind and what it actually is like, what it is that you've been really wanting and anticipating, and then what it's actually like when you're Experiencing it. If you're anticipating the loss of carryover of concentration or mindfulness, how do you relate to that? Mostly people have a lot of fear about losing what they've gotten here. And actually, there are two Pali terms, hiri and otapa. One means wholesome fear, and one means wholesome shame or dread. And the wholesome fear is the fear of not being mindful. And the wholesome shame is the shame of having not been mindful and i'm sure you've already experienced these two wholesome fear and shames here during the course and you'll also feel that as you move on into your life and basically it'll be the same for you on retreat so-called in retreat or out of retreat basically all we can do is do the best we can part of mindfulness is remembering it's remembering to come back to what's predominant if you're really mindful there's no suffering and that's all you have to remember if you're awake if you're aware there's no suffering And part of mindfulness is remembering. And when you remember, that's the best you can do. There's a saying from Don Juan, he says, A warrior takes his lot, whatever it may be, and accepts it in ultimate humbleness. He accepts in humbleness what he is, not as grounds for regret, but as a living challenge. You've all stayed here three months through the ups and downs, incredible ups and downs. And this makes one strong. How to be unshakable through the ups and downs. And when you come on retreat, whatever appears for you to work with is no accident. It's basically no mistake, whatever you had to work with these three months. Whatever appears is what we need to look at. And that's the only way we can grow. The problem is we almost never want what we have happening. And we can't control it. If you've seen a lot of painful mind states it's good. It's good to see the pain as well as the pleasant. It's a process of de of seeing. If you don't see the greed, hatred, or delusion, there's no way of being free from it. And it's a gradual process. which is that wild patience. So if you're wondering what happened here for you, what's, you know, what did I come here for anyway? If I'm just going to lose everything that I got here, what's the point? If I can't keep the concentration, what's the point? It's really hard to say what happens here. I can guarantee that you don't walk in the same, you don't walk out the same way that you walked in. It really is like going in for a major operation. I was noticing today that even the dogs that come here (laughs) over a period of time go through great changes. (laughs) And it actually, it's very reassuring <laughs> that even Brandy <laughs> and, and Schultze, they keep their personalities. you probably noticed that Schultz still wants you to throw rocks and sticks. <laughs> but they, they really change over time. And we do too, but it's not always so very noticeable. And it's not always what we want. But it's usually what we need. <laughs> hmm. There's a poem by Rilke that I didn't bring. <laughs> it doesn't look like... <laughs> It should be here, but it isn't. But he talks about... Is it next to your bench? No. Um, He talks about... a storm coming. A storm being the shifter of shapes. (laughs) That he can't bear without a friend. He can't bear without a sister. And basically, the last thing that I wanted to emphasize tonight was this storm or shifter or shapes that we all go through in our life. The ups and downs. And how important a friendship and brother or sister is. The Buddha did say that the whole of the spiritual life is friendship Not 50%, but the whole. And it's no mistake or accident that we're all here together, us particular people in this particular place. We're here as a result of past actions together. And so we've created a silent, intimate space or sanctuary where we could each go deeply inside and the sanctuary includes us human beings and it also includes the flies the great Buddhas that visited us all retreat our flies here insects birds, trees, dogs, chickadees streams, lakes, sun, stars. There's an extraordinary power in the silent intimacy. And usually we grow quite close even though we don't speak with each other. And often in spite of ourselves, There's such a full range of ups and downs and cruises. We go through all the aversions and irritations and judgments and appreciations and attractions as well as the more subtle levels of mind and stillness of mind. And we can see that we share many of the same problems, experiences and interests And often a wondrous affection can blossom between us at times and we can learn to bear the storm and all the shifts within the landscape of our minds, within the protection of the sangha, of friendship. There's a man named Reps who said, it's probable we meet only the persons in this world we deserve to meet, or are supposed to meet, or are drawn to meet, like certain water drops down a stream gliding over certain stones on the way to the sea. Sangha is a communion of energy on our way to the sea. And it's because of the sangha that we can share and participate in looking as carefully as possible at life revealing itself, moment by moment, drop by drop. Rilke says, sorrows, how we waste them, how we keep looking ahead at their sad length." to see if maybe they'll end when really they're nothing more than our winter foliage our dark evergreen just one of the seasons of your hidden year and not only season but setting settlement campground the place that we live (coughs) And when we sit, sometimes we can become so isolated, especially in a three-month course, we can become so isolated in our own particular melodrama, our own particular torment. And it can seem like no one else could possibly be suffering like we're suffering. And if we're having a difficult time and we're sitting in the meditation hall and open our eyes and look around, everyone else, we're sure everyone else is blissed out and peaceful and enlightened and we're the only people that are suffering. And the intensity of reaction to whatever's happening, it doesn't seem possible sometimes that there could be even one spark of detachment in the flood of anger or the fear or despair or cynicism and at this time it can seem so thick and cement-like I've had such an increasing awe at the magnitude of self-hatred in us all on this planet And it takes a certain acknowledgement and respect for how strong this negativity in ourselves and towards ourselves can be. And most important, that we all take turns in feeling defeated. We all take turns in feeling defeated. And it's important to realize this, to start having a deepening appreciation of the importance of meditation and also the importance of the Sangha's role in healing this. The other side of this is that also within this campground, or this settlement of Sangha, we also share the joys of beautifying our hearts together as well as sharing the sorrows there's the joy of being awake that feeling of being truly open and receiving just one moment just one touch of a snowflake just the sound of the heat that great symphony (laughs) that great cacophony (laughs) the sound of a chickadee singing in the morning the wonderful food the deep peace inside we share the silence and the preciousness and sacredness of life and this this can bring a deep meaning and a true intimacy with ourselves and others. And this is what I would call an ecology of the heart. And the more we have compassion for ourselves and take on the commitment of seeing whatever is happening as clearly as possible, if we do this, the more we can affect the Sangha and those living on the planet and the universe when we become aware of our own heart we see that all our hearts are connected and that there's just one heart the heart of the universe and this ecology of the heart is actually very very practical for our lives and practicalness is very appealing to most westerners (laughs) just being with what with one bite of a sandwich or being able to walk down the aisle of a supermarket awake not needing to be anywhere else or if we feel the wind on our cheek telling us all that we need to know or the sun's warmth it's when we renounce racing miles ahead of ourselves in the future or pushing away what's happening in the moment that life becomes so incredibly simple and joyous It's merely remembering, and this is important for when you start talking, (laughs) it's remembering to take one breath at a time. One step at a time. One landscape of sadness at a time. One sound of the bell ringing at a time. And as we open to each moment more fully, we can become more and more awake and more and more contented and this doesn't depend on whether we're in retreat or out of retreat and because of this inner and outer melts into an ecology of the heart just before the death of the Buddha, Ananda, a monk who'd been to almost every discourse of the Buddha, had given during his teaching life, Ananda began to worry about the teachings of the Buddha, and he asked the Buddha who was going to lead the Sangha, and how about some rules for the nuns and monks. And the Buddha answered, be your own light, Ananda, be your own refuge, let the teaching be your light, let the teaching be your refuge, do not take any other refuge. So, may you be your own light. I wanted to end with a little story. Um, When I was in Switzerland this year, um, I think, yeah, I had gotten sick in Johannesburg and I flew. To Switzerland with the, with the flu, and I had a few days to rest. And I had taken the train into Zurich, from this town I was staying in, and was on my way back. And it was nighttime, and there was a town, an annual town fair going on in this little town, and it was very crowded. It was just full of people, and I didn't. Everyone was speaking. Swiss German so I didn't know what anyone was saying and so I was just walking around looking at what people were doing and what they were selling and I went down a, a particularly crowded street and then I kinda got bored <laughs> and I was on my way back and there was this little boy on the street and he was crying and I didn't speak the language so I just watched him and he, wa- he was going up and down the street, crying and crying, and I realized he was lost. And no one... it was like the, the street was so crowded, Every all the adults were very, very tall, and nobody, no one saw him, no one noticed he was crying. And it was so painful for me. I was just watching this child, and I felt <clears throat> like there wasn't really much I could do, because I I wouldn't exactly be able to comfort him, being this other tall adult speaking to him in a foreign language. So I just watched him for quite a while, and it was about a half an hour where he was just up and down, and I tried getting some people's attention and pointing to him, and it didn't work. And finally he found somebody he knew. And I'm picking this story because it's just a very small example. Um, It was incredibly painful for me to watch that. And I went up this um, very tall hill up to the house where I was staying and there was a little bench on my way up and I sat there on my way up. My heart was just like, oh, this was too painful. And I just sat there (laughs) and I felt so bad for the little boy. And I realized that I just wasn't able to be with the unpleasantness of that situation. That was what was most painful for me was that I felt helpless and that it was very unpleasant. But also I really identified with the child, i identified with how he felt as a child in an adult's world, being very lost and not being able to leech up and talk with them. And find somebody he knew and I think that um, no matter what a lot of life is painful a lot of times we are lost And there's so much suffering in the world. There's so many. There's so many directions we can take. We can, if you go into the field of mental health. If you really go into it, there's so much suffering. Or if you go into the work of peace work. If you go into the work of protesting nuclear arms. If you go very deeply into it and you look into it it's very painful or if you go into looking into um, how bananas are being raised in South America if you go very deeply into it there's a lot of suffering there's so many areas in in terms of social social action in, in our lives that if you look closely at it, there's so much suffering and one level that one has to work with individually is accepting the unpleasantness of it all because without it one can't do anything productive about it one's just fighting the dukkha And when you're able to accept the unpleasantness of it and get out of the way oneself one can pick an area to work in wherever one feels comfortable, however much one feels like doing and do the best you can. And you can bring this simplicity and joy of being in the moment to whatever work you choose to do so being able to face the Dukkha being able to be with the unpleasantness of how life is for us human beings on this planet is vital and you've all been doing it so you all have a lot to offer right now which is incredibly beautiful I don't think you know this but you all have an incredible amount to offer to each other right now and to wherever you're going so You should feel proud of yourselves (laughs) in all your humility. (laughs) There's some announcements I'm supposed to make somewhere here. I think I'm going to have to remember them, (laughs) rely on my memory. Let's see. Yep. Okay. I have to rely on my memory. <laughs> uh, I'm a wolf, wolf, wolf. <laughs> 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 uh, at 3 o'clock tomorrow, mm-hmm. we're all supposed to get together in here, and the managers will speak with us for a while, and then they'll be an people. It's called a go-around and just people will introduce themselves. Please try to come, everyone. It's nice. Mm. And then they'll be talking until a 7.30 sitting. And then they'll be sitting from 7.30 to 8.30 and then a walking and then a late night tea so please keep the silence tomorrow morning through lunch and until three o'clock then come in here and then there'll be a go around and then they'll be talking there will be a movement Um, Eric Newt Hansen is going to uh, explore Different ways of exploring Tai Chi movement at 11 o'clock in the lower walking room. So anybody who would like to do that, please come. And there'll be a schedule posted of Integration Week. You know, of what the activities will be tomorrow. Uh, I think probably by the stairway across from the bulletin board. So tomorrow you'll know the schedule of Integration Week. Uh-huh. I think yeah. It's like 11 tomorrow. Uh-huh. Yeah, eleven o'clock tomorrow morning down in the lower walking room with Eric. Do we have to do anything about the no, no, it's an open exploration. Yeah. Am I forgetting? Is wolf it over, wolf. Uh, is there a two o'clock sitting time? Yes. There'll be a two fifteen sitting and then it'll stop at three. Yeah, the schedule's the same all morning, the same, it'll be the same thing, and I'll be doing interviews in the morning, and then um, sitting at 2.15, and then at 3 o'clock the managers will talk with you. There will be areas that will remain silent anytime. Yeah, we'll announce tomorrow where the silent areas will be and where they won't be. Basically, the meditation hall is silent, this, this walking room is silent. The The rooms, the rooms you're in, will be silent. And the dining room, and the library, and outside will be available for talking. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go into this more tomorrow, because there'll be certain times when it's silent. Meals will be in silence, and tomorrow tea won't be in silence, but all the rest of the time it will be. Here comes the lid. (laughs) So please enjoy this last evening and morning tomorrow. I know it's hard because the lid's just about to come off, but it's also the, I'm sure you're savoring the silence as well. Okay. Thank you for listening.